Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first week of our Unexpected Message series. My name's Jeremiah. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here, and uh, I am so thrilled that you're here. I want to welcome those of you who are participating online, our family in Kiwani, our Bettendorf campus, and of course, all of you right here at Rock Island. I don't believe it's by accident that we're here together walking through this, that we get to kick off the unexpected journey together. This series is going to be one in four parts where we look at the story of Jesus, his journey to the cross and beyond through the lenses of four different individuals, four different perspectives as they intersect with Jesus either after a long journey or even in a short moment. And they have these unexpected encounters with him that change everything for them. And I believe that's God's heart for us even here now, that we would have unexpected encounters with him that could change everything for us. The, each of those people, as I said, they had unexpected interactions with, with him. And in order for us to really get a sense of, of what's happening, we're going to need to go real deep, real fast today. So I need you to get ready for that, okay? So just take a moment, pause, take a deep breath. Stretch. All right. Bettendorf, I hope you're stretching a lot better than Rock Island because I look ridiculous <laughs> doing this by myself. You're just going to stretch. Get your note-taking fingers ready. All right, get your note guide out. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture from different portions of the Bible, all telling the same story, but we're going to be all over the place. You can follow along in your Bible or device, but everything's going to be right there on your note guide. You got that ready? Are we all set? Good, because it's time for our first fill-in already. It's this thought that sometimes we need to be shaken loose from our expectations, Sometimes we need to be shaken loose from our expectations. As I said, we're beginning this series, and there are four different perspectives that we're going to be looking at. Today, we're going to be looking through the eyes of a young man named John. We'll talk more about him in just a few moments. But all four of the people in this series are people who had expectations of what should be. They came to the table knowing what they thought would happen. They were prepped and ready for an outcome that, that they knew what the outcome would normally be if things went according to plan. And yet they discovered, as we so often do, that God's plan and design causes us to take a step into a different direction. What they discovered and what we need to understand is that sometimes we need to be shaken loose from our expectations. We are familiar with that when it comes to things of work or relationship where we realize maybe we need a different perspective on how we're interacting with someone around us or what our expectations are about our career path or even how this relationship will work out. And it's no different when it comes to the things of Jesus. Sometimes we need to be shaken loose from our expectations. That was the case for the four people we're going to be looking at. It was the case for John that we're looking through today. And it's the case for us. Now, one of, the, one of the things that pops up in each of the stories as we're going to look at them is that the people who we encounter all had a, had a space where they were comfortable, where they knew what to expect. And that was okay. But the problem with the unexpected is that it never happens within the scope of what you expect, right? That's sort of the definition of unexpected. It happens outside of what you're anticipating, 
And the danger for us who are, who are engaging with this message today is we can walk the Easter journey. We can come to this time of year and hear the stories of Jesus and talk about the cross and even the resurrection. And we do it from a place where we're comfortable and where we feel like we, we know what to expect. But when we do that, we very well miss out or may miss out on some fantastic, adventurous things that God has for us. Whether, whether this is the first time you're in church in a long, long time, and I'm so glad that you're here, because I don't believe it's by accident, you have, you have expectations of what today is going to look like. Or you came into this place and you've been in church for a long time, you're super familiar with the stories of Jesus. I'm so glad you're here. You have expectations of what these conversations will look like. So the first thing I want to do before we go any further is pause and simply ask the Holy Spirit to shake us loose of the expectations we have right now, okay? Holy Spirit, that's our prayer. God, that you would shake us loose of the perspectives, the expectations that we have. Would you please give us fresh eyes as we look at these conversations and these stories and this one today? I pray that you would move mightily in and through us even now. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so the first kind of perspective that we're looking through is that of a young man by the name of John. He was John, the son of Zebedee. And I would like to meet Zebedee because just anybody with a name like that has to be an awesome guy, right? John, the son of Zebedee. He was probably, he was the youngest of Jesus' disciples. He was somewhere between like 16 years old and 19 years old at the time of the conversations that we're going to be having today. All right, so he's, he's really young. But before he started following Jesus, he was following another man named John that we know as John the Baptist. John the Baptist felt like his whole job, and Scripture would attest to this, was to prepare the way for Jesus to come, okay? So John the Younger is hanging out with John the Baptist while John the Baptist is doing things like eating wild honey and eating bugs for lunch, which actually happened, that's in the Bible. And he is hearing about this coming rescuer. And one day, Jesus and John the Baptist interact John, the one that we're talking about, sees that happen, and he leaves John the Baptist to continue following Jesus. So John becomes, over the course of about a three-year ministry with Jesus, being ministered to by Jesus and doing things with Christ, John becomes Jesus' probably closest friend. There's a sense that he's, he's just the closest in of the circle of all of Jesus's followers. There's a unique friendship relationship there. So unique, in fact, that John in the scriptures is referred to as the disciple Jesus loved. That doesn't mean that he didn't love the other disciples. It just means that John had a unique friendship relationship with Jesus. He's called John the Beloved. You get the sense that there's just this close-in, tight-knit relationship. And over the course of three years together, John had been there when Jesus had cast out demons. He had been there as Jesus had raised people from the dead. Like, check that out, right? He had been there as he walked on water, as Jesus calmed stormy seas. He'd been there as he drove demons out by the legion in front of 
of him. John himself had been used by Jesus to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse those who have leprosy. So you just get a sense that John at this point had been having a life of phenomenal adventure. He's close in. If anybody knows Jesus really, really well on the face of the earth at this time, it is John, the one Jesus loved. And even for John, we discover that he had to have his expectations reshaped. He had to be shaken loose from his expectations. And if someone like John has to, be re, has to be shaken loose from his expectations, my sense is the rest of us do as well. There are things that I believe God wants to reveal to us in this story. John, you get the sense, as a young man knew he was made for something significant. You can see it in his interactions. He knew he was made for more. That he was to, tell, to be part of the great story God was telling and to play a major role in it. You, you just can tell as you read through his lens what he senses. And what I love about that is it resonates so deeply with all of us. Aren't there moments where you feel like you're just made for something more? That, that you were made to play a larger role, a greater part in what God is doing. And like John, if only you could find a way to break into that greater thing, if only you could find a way to step into that new big thing, then everything would be different. And there's a sense that's John's perspective as we kind of intersect with him. He knows he's made for something more. And he had some, some pretty foundational expectations of what it would mean if Jesus was who he said he was. John, like the others around him, expected that Jesus was on a trajectory so that to, to where something was about to happen that was going to be so huge. There was something going to happen so large, so life-changing, that Jesus would be positioned undeniably as a king and leader. They thought that that would mean he would be positioned undeniably as like a, a physical ruling king, somebody with governors and princes and people around him. They felt that as that happened, God was going to finally rescue Israel, who were occupied by the Roman army at the time. And they would finally step in to what God had for them all along. And there was also a sense with John and those around him that there might be special opportunity for those who got in on the ground floor of the whole Jesus thing. This is what they are expecting. This is who John is. So it must have been unexpected, shocking even. When in light of that, in Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus having a conversation with his disciples. We're going to get to the scripture that's in your notebook in a moment, and I want to I kind of unpack a little bit of what's happening there, okay? Jesus is doing phenomenal ministry. He gathers his 12 closest friends around him, and he pauses from the activity of what's going on, and he says, guys, we have to get going to Jerusalem. We are resolutely setting our faces toward Jerusalem because when we get there, the leaders are going to hand me over, Jesus over, to the occupying force to be killed. We have to go there so that can happen. When they do that, they're going to humiliate me. They're going to spit on me. It is not going to be good. 
but three days later, I will rise. He's like, guys, I've told you this three times, okay? We're going to Jerusalem, so this can happen. It's not going to be fun to partake of, to, to see, but it is part of the divine plan. It's part of what needs to happen. What you get a sense of is Jesus is shaking his disciples and his followers loose of their expectations of what might or could or should be. Right on the heels of that, we see this truth play out. Before we read the scripture, I want to share this with you. That when Jesus shapes our expectations, we are positioned for greater purpose. We see his closest in friends begin to get this sense that when Jesus is the one who shapes our expectations, we're actually positioned for greater purpose. So here's what happens next. Remember, John, uh, the, the disciples are there, and Jesus has just said, we have to go to Jerusalem so that these things can happen to fulfill what needs to be done. Son of man, hand it over. It's going to be a little bit rough. This is, that has just happened, and then we see this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, so John and his brother Jim, came to him. Teacher, they said, I love this. Teacher. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Like, they just walked up to Jesus and said, just say yes. We're going to ask you a question, but before we do, just say yes, okay? What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. Now remember, remember, Jesus is God. He knows. There's nothing surprising coming his way here, all right? What do you want me to do for you? he asked. And then they go, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He kind of says, you, you guys, you don't understand what you're asking because what they are asking is they say, basically, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, you know, whatever this whole going to Jerusalem to die thing. But when you come into your kingdom, can, can we like be the second and third in command? Would, would that be okay with you? And by the way, if you had just said yes, we wouldn't have had to have the rest of this conversation. I mean, Jesus, come on. There's this sense that they, they have these grand expectations and Jesus is trying to shake them loose so that he can shape what they expect for greater purpose. What they expected was that Jesus would install an earthly kingdom. And what Jesus has been showing them all along is that his kingdom is something far greater and eternal. What they expected was a kingdom established in human kinds of power, overcoming by conquest and brute force. And Jesus shows that he has a whole different, more powerful kind of leadership than they've ever expected. They expected that Jesus would rescue Israel, and Jesus is showing them he is building a kingdom that will restore all of humanity. Do you see how when Jesus begins to shape our expectations, we're positioned for something greater? The sense in this passage, and it's, it's so easy for us from our perspective to make fun of James and John. But I've got to tell you, I, I think if we had been there, I'll speak for myself, if I had been there, this moment would have frustrated me 
because they got to ask the question first. And I wanted to be the first one to ask for that stuff. And if you don't think that's how it would play out, read this story in the scriptures because that's exactly what happens. The other followers of Jesus get upset that John and James asked. In one, in one description, it says they sent their mommy to do the asking for them. It's just, it's just this crazy moment in scripture. But it's showing us that when Jesus shapes our expectations, we're actually positioned for something greater. I don't think that what the problem that, that Jesus identifies here, when he says, can you be baptized with my baptism? Can you drink the cup I can drink? And they continue and they say, sure, yes, we can, which is right there in the scriptures. And Jesus says, well, whether you can or can't, this isn't for mine to give. This isn't mine to give. There's a sense, not that they were asking for something too big, but they were asking for something too small. I'm convinced they weren't asking for something too big. They were asking for something too small. Because when our expectations aren't shaped by Jesus, we're focusing more on what we can get for ourselves, what we can become, what we are able to build. As Jesus shapes our expectations, as he informs who we are, now we begin to broaden our understanding of what he is doing and who he is. And suddenly we realize that our greatest dreams, our finest pursuits are so small compared to what he has in store. There is a danger in pursuing our own expectations unshaped by Jesus. That danger is that we can find ourselves very quickly and very readily offended with God because we find that we have been holding him to promises he never made because of expectations we shaped. We're expecting outcomes from him that are outside of his character because of expectations that we shaped. And I believe there are, there are those of us in this place, in these rooms and online even right now, who are, who are engaging with this message. And we are in a place of being offended and frustrated with God. Disappointed at how things have turned out. And I've got to ask, do you think perhaps it's because... You've been living by self-shaped expectations. And they're far too small compared to what God has in store. That is what we see playing out in the scripture that we just read. But this is just one unexpected element of that journey toward Easter. After this discussion, John encounters another unexpected and uncomfortable truth. It's the next fill-in if you're tracking along. It's right here. Serving and suffering reveal the kingdom of God. Serving and suffering reveal the kingdom of God. On the same night that Jesus was betrayed, and a, and a whole set of circumstances and events would be put in motion that would change forever all of the world, all of humanity. On that same night, we read these words from the book of John, written by the guy that we're talking about today. In John 13, he says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, and the meal is the Passover feast 
meal that they're having, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I want to read this again one more time and highlight a couple of things, okay? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Say, all things. How much had been put under Jesus' power and authority? All things, everything. Jesus knew he was fully human and fully divine. He knew that he had the very power to sustain and uphold all things, that by the very word of his mouth, he could create or uncreate, that he had all power in him. This is not a small moment. Think about if you realized you had unfettered power, what you might do just for a moment. Jesus, knowing he has all things under his power, it says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and began to wash his disciples' feet. Because Jesus had all power and authority, because of that, he takes the position of the lowliest servant in the house and begins to act out, in a sense, a living parable with his closest friends. He goes on from here to share with them that he's cleansing them in the same way that he wants to cleanse them to be ready for the things of God that he's getting ready to help make happen through the cross and resurrection. But even as he's offering that cleansing to them, his disciples need to offer it to other people. There's this sense that his kingdom, which is so unlike anything that his disciples had anticipated, so unlike anything had anyone had ever seen, he's sharing with them that it is revealed in the place of service. Jesus undeniably was the most powerful person in the room. And he chose to take a place of service in revealing the kingdom God had sent him to establish. What are the moments where you and I, we're the most powerful person in the room, and there are those moments for each of us. What would it look like to take the posture of a servant and even there, reveal the kingdom of God. In, in the story of what happens that night, this moment actually is happening, as it, as it was referenced just a moment ago, within the Last Supper, what we call the Last Supper meal, the final Passover that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. It's happening in this. There's a passage in Luke that shares a little bit of what's happening. It says, when the hour came... Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And we know that John, his best friend, was sitting right next to him, often with his shoulder, his head even right on his shoulder. And Jesus said to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I, what? Before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And he continues... After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. 
This would have been unleavened bread, bread made without yeast. It would have had a, had a snap to it, as Jesus said, broken. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, this, this broken bread, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at some point after that is when the whole foot washing thing would have happened. The, the last passage that we looked at, where Jesus, knowing he had all things under his power, went and served his disciples. And then later on in the evening, we read these verses. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. What, what is amazing, there's so much here. But what's incredible to me is that Jesus, knowing what was to come, reveals to his disciples that his kingdom is going to be seen through his suffering. Him choosing to be broken. Him willingly pouring himself out for them. But, but here's what we need to understand. That Jesus, who's about to encounter uh, an incredibly painful series of suffering moments... He knows it's happening. He's preparing his disciples for it. He's about to encounter the cross in a matter of hours. Death on a cross is so painful that we did not have a word to describe the kind of pain that a person experiences on it. So we invented a word to explain how painful it is to be crucified. We say it is excruciating. This is what Jesus knows is coming. It's what he's sharing with his disciples beforehand, showing that his kingdom will be revealed through service and suffering. But what I need us to understand is that he wasn't just sharing this as a nice story or as an allegory. These aren't just things that we read this time of year. These are calls to action. Calls to action for his first followers and for us. And I know that because of the, the verse that follows the foot washing in John. It's right here. It says, I have set you. This is Jesus speaking. I have set you an, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What you've just seen play out. This invitation that he laid before his followers and is recorded for us. This is not just a story, but it's an, an invitation to act, to serve and reveal the kingdom of God to others. That just as Jesus was broken and poured out for us, that you and I, as his followers, are to willingly be broken and poured out for the sake of others. It's incredible. And it's tough. And I, I don't know how I feel about that. But it's very clear that Jesus is sharing his kingdom is so different. That it isn't revealed. It isn't revealed in conquering masses of soldiers killing those ahead of them. It isn't revealed in the way that most of us would build a kingdom. No, no. It's revealed through serving and suffering. The invitation to follow Jesus is 
absolutely an invitation to adventure and purpose and joy, to significance and meaning, to experience things you can't even begin to fathom, but it is also an invitation to embrace suffering. And that only makes sense to us. It only makes sense to us if we have been shaken loose from our expectations and if Jesus is now the one who's shaping them. It only makes sense if we've been shaken loose and if Jesus is now the one shaping our expectations. What's amazing to me in in this as Jesus kind of continues to unpack what's going to happen and John shares about this. John, the only one to record the foot washing moment because it's unique and special. And through his eyes, it so clearly demonstrates that revealing of kingdom, I think. He is also the one who records that Jesus, before he was betrayed, prayed for his first followers and for us. And he shared with us what some of the words of that prayer were. He shares with us that Jesus prayed for his followers to be people of love and unity and purity, to be people who were empowered by the Holy Spirit in such a way that there was no adversity that could keep them from doing the very great things that God had in store for them. But he also prayed for them and for us, that we would not be a people removed from the suffering, and, uh, from the suffering of the world, but that we would be found faithful in it. It's an unexpected turn, even for some of us who are watching and listening today. But that unexpected truth leads us to this unexpected understanding. Not only can God make something of beauty and value out of our suffering, not only can he do it, but he specializes in it. Not only can God do this, you know, it's... It's important for us from time to time to make the distinction between what God can do and what he does. God can do anything. Just because God can do something doesn't mean that that's necessarily what he does. But in this instance, I need you to hear, God is really good at this. He specializes in taking the places of our suffering, of our pain, of our brokenness, and bringing us to a place where they are beautiful and wonderful and worthwhile. Not because the experience itself was great, but because God brings beauty from ashes. I'm not saying that God orchestrates our suffering, but he can and does take and make it something beautiful in a way that nothing else and no one else can. We need to embrace this truth. There is no hurt so deep. There is no wound so painful. There is no story so dark that God cannot take it and make it meaningful and beautiful and worthwhile, a place of hope and of healing. You are not too far gone. Your story is not too hard for God. Your hopelessness is not too deep for him. He can and does step into those places. And what I love about him is as we step into relationship with Jesus, he does these things even in areas that are broken and painful and hurting because of our own series of bad decisions. 
He does them in the places where we're called to embrace suffering for his name, but he also does it in the other areas of pain and suffering for us. He not, not only can he do this, but he does it, and he does it well. We see it in the story that John sees as Jesus encounters his final hours. He saw firsthand what it meant that by the wounds of Christ, we are healed. He saw firsthand what it meant that the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus was a place of life to be found. We would see God as restorer. I'm seeing this play out. I know it's true. I know this is true because I'm seeing it play out in members of our heritage body right now. People walking broken paths of pain and challenge. Broken relationships, broken bodies, broken futures. And yet, we are seeing how God takes those broken pieces and moves and redeems and restores. And even in the midst of pain and even in the midst of suffering, our brothers and sisters who are saying, but God is faithful and he is good. I saw it play out in my sister's life who as a very little girl, as a precious little girl, was horrendously assaulted and her innocence was stolen from her. And yet, today, I was just on the phone with her the other day talking about this with her. And yet today, God is using her to call other people out of their shame and brokenness to a place of healing. And she told me the amazing thing is that as she invites people into that place of healing, Jesus continues to heal her more and more as she does it. I saw it and see it play out in my own life. Where when I was growing up, at the hands of people who were supposed to love and protect me, I experienced abuse and pain. But even now, God allows me to offer healing and hope and wholeness to people. He redeems that as I offer his hope to others. And it's the same for us. It's the same for all of us. It was the same for John, that teenage boy who had uh, expectations of what Jesus could and should do. He ended up, the rest of his story being one that was marked by moments of suffering. Church tradition says that John would, would grow old, but along the way he would be exiled, he would be, <laughs> he would be beaten, he would be boiled in oil and survive, all because he called on the name of Jesus and shared the hope that he had. And yet that still being his story, toward the end of his days, alone and, and lonely on a desert island labor camp, he shares with us the hopeful truth that Jesus is the lamb who was slain, but also the roaring lion of the tribe of Judah. And he, from that perspective, shares this with us in the book of Revelation. He says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, I am making everything new. Bringing his very real kingdom into fruition. That's a testimony of how God takes our suffering and uses it for something more. But what does that mean for us? So, so what now? I think the answer is found in, ans- in asking and answering this question. Where does God want to use your brokenness for greater purpose? Where does God want to use your brokenness for greater purpose? Maybe you need to start in the place of allowing Jesus to break your expectations apart, to shake you loose a little bit, even in this journey toward Easter. Maybe he needs to shake you loose of your expectations in some other area of life. Perhaps God wants to use your brokenness for greater purpose, but first you need to step into the healing relationship that he offers. For the first time, asking him to be the one who forgives and leads and restores you, or offering him part of your life that you've held back and hidden because it's too raw, too broken, too dark. And he is even now whispering to you, trust me with that. Maybe, maybe for you, you're called to a new place of brokenness today. To offer yourself to be broken and poured out for the sake of the name of Jesus. As we do that, as we press into him in these ways, I believe Jesus will reveal himself in ways fresh and new that are completely unexpected, but entirely beautiful and deeply powerful. He can do it. He is good. He is faithful, and he is ours. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we thank you for this season and the moments to pause and and just think of who you are and what you have done and what you continue to do. I ask you, please, God, shake us loose. God, show us where you would bring healing and wholeness. God, what parts of our lives do you want to redeem? And though that journey toward redemption may be painful, we know it will be good because you are in it. God, we trust you with our whole lives. We trust you with these moments. And I pray for this body, for those those listening and engaging today, that you would give us unexpected moments with you where you change us, you redeem us, you move before us. We ask these things in your powerful name. Amen.